0: This podcast is supported by Red Energy. Powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, Red is 100% Australian-owned and local. Phone 131 806.
1: Congratulations! Victoria's housing market has rebounded strongly this year.
0: Hammers were falling once again. Buy numbers per auction are actually up on last year. Rates, of course, on hold again at 0.25%. National house prices
1: were still rising.
0: A man's home is his castle, and today it goes under the hammer.
1: Welcome to Under the Hammer. For Red Energy, moving house, call local energy retailer Red Energy.
0: And whether you are buying or selling or just obsessed by real estate, this is the podcast for you. Yes, it's Under the Hammer with Ben Reid and Claire Parks from Ian Reed Buyer and Vendor Advocates. I'm Jane Neild and we're doing it all thanks to Red Energy. Moving is hard, but switching your electricity and gas is easy. Call Red Energy on 131806. It's my pleasure to welcome Ben Reed to the show. G'day, Jane. And hello, Claire Parks. Hi. (laughs) Okay, so this time last week, we were off the back of a long weekend. Things were looking relatively good on the real estate market. So, Ben, we're going to find out about this weekend's results. We are also today going to get some of your tips on how to identify a suburb and a property that will perform for you. Plus, there's a lot of things to consider when it comes to negotiating. And I really hope, Ben and Claire, that you've got some good pointers for us here because negotiating scares me somewhat, whether it's a business deal or a real estate purchase. I don't know. I'm not sure that we're all great negotiators. Uh, Naturally, I think there's a lot that we could learn. But weekend results, Ben. So tell me about the clearance rates. How did things look on the weekend just gone? So we are now recording this on the 15th of June.
1: Well, the market continues to get good momentum. We had auction numbers go up to 296 for the weekend, which is nearly double the week before. And we've had uh, that progressively go up since really the lockdown or um, the restrictions being eased. The clearance rate was 64%, which is a little bit lower than what it has been in the last couple of weeks, but not surprising given double the number of auctions for that clearance rate just to drop off a little bit. But it's still an indication of a reasonably balanced market.
0: Fantastic. okay. So the increase in volume was that more people just deciding, okay, let's go, things look to be you know heading in an upwards direction?
1: Well, if we track it back four weeks ago was about when the auction numbers, uh, the the level of buyers at auctions became higher, uh, when it was clear that restrictions were starting to ease. So, agents and vendors started to set their campaigns, So we will now start to see those types of numbers I'd expect consistently over the next few weeks.
0: Now, Ben, I love a good case study. So tell me about a property that you uh, put under the spotlight on the weekend.
1: Well, we're now starting to see some really good results. By and large, it's a fairly balanced marketplace between buyers and sellers, but we're now starting to see some uh, really gold results if we if we look a little bit closer. We had a sale during the week out in Lang Warren, which is one of the areas that's going to start to pick up in the new housing sector. But this was an established home, quoted seven hundred and twenty to seven hundred and ninety thousand. We had three offers on the home. Most of the well, the two offers fell within the range, but we actually sold it for eight hundred and forty thousand. Wow, which was nearly a hundred thousand dollars over the next nearest offer. So. A good thing to consider here is that while the auction numbers will start to pick up, not every property is suited to an auction. And some of the outer suburbs, you'll get a much better result if you're able to deal with buyers individually, because in this case, there was a big gap between uh, buyer number one and buyer number two. And if it was Mm. an auction, it probably would have sold somewhere in the mid-sevens, but it sold 840,000. terrific result.
0: Wow. And what was so great about the property? Why do you think it sort of ticked all the boxes for those three bidders?
1: It was a good family home, uh, had a lot of the mod cons only sort of five to six years old. There was the buyer was downsizing from a much larger house uh, in a more um, higher priced location. Um, so, they saw it as a really good value option for them and suited all their needs.
0: Sounds like all the advice that you've been giving us over the last few weeks that, you know, some buyers can be looking for properties. If, if they've got that chance to get something that does tick all the boxes, then go for it, go hard. Yeah,
1: it was really great <laughs> to see it all come together for our vendors, too.
0: And do you get surprised when? You do actually achieve a price that's so far over what you might have expected. I mean, obviously your clients are really happy, but does it sort of surprise you given the current market at the moment?
1: Well, there's nothing better than a result like that, and you know that's what you're really aiming to achieve. And and when. Our clients can put an extra seventy, eighty thousand um, dollars in their bank account when they didn't expect it during really challenging times. Mm. It's yeah, really satisfying for everyone.
0: And I guess you're trying to make sure that their expectations aren't completely over the top as well. You know, you could have told them a couple of weeks ago, oh, we can do it by a hundred or more plus. I guess you were trying to underplay things maybe and just keep them realistic.
1: But that's what leads to a result like that. It was quoted appropriately. They presented the property beautifully. They applied all the right strategies and and had that one buyer that was really willing to go that extra mile to secure it. Win-win. Now, Claire, I know you were out and about on the weekend, but you actually
0: um, had one crack at a property for one of your clients, but weren't successful. Do you have to sort of take them to the coffee shop afterwards and go, it's okay, there's always next weekend. There must be a little bit of um, reassuring happening when you're unsuccessful bidding.
2: (laughs) Yeah, there can be. And I mean, in this instance, we were approached uh, by this particular client who was after our assistance. In helping them to bid on this block of land, and in Mitcham actually, mm-hmm. so we came in. We looked at the price quote. We spoke to the agent. We spoke to a couple of other re- uh, real estate agents in that area as well. And it was at that point we kind of put a value or likely selling price between sort of eight twenty and eight fifty. The client didn't quite have the legs to get into that price bracket. Sure, but we attended nevertheless and uh, the property sold for 851 and and we missed out but there were 5 bidders it was strong it was competitive so yeah, it's a good indication as to what's happening.
0: Out of interest, because I do live in that suburb in Mitcham, was it a developer that bought
2: the, the block or do you think it was people? It actually wasn't. It was bought by a younger couple, probably early 30s, uh, who I believe will like to build their dream family
1: home on Oh, that.
0: good to hear. Now, of course, last week we were talking about the introduction of the assistance for people wanting to either build a brand new home or do a renovation around about the $150,000 mark. So the uh, government kicking in 25 Five thousand dollars in that home builder scheme. Did either of you feel as though that affected things You know, a week and a bit on from that announcement? Have you seen, Ben, people maybe changing strategy to accommodate that?
1: Definitely. We've had a number of inquiries this week from buyers that are now looking at getting into the market for something new. Uh, buyer inquiries right across the board have picked up. Confidence has picked up. So I, I just think Um, yeah, the overarching effect will be positive right across the board.
0: Fantastic. Good to see. COVID update. Of course, we've had more information come down from the Victorian state government and things are easing up a little bit more, Claire. So we're going to see more and more people at auctions and it sounds
2: like we can get quite a crowd now. Yes, exactly. So some of the neighbours will be able to pop out now as well to have a <laughs> bit of a
0: look. So. so I think from the 21st of June, you can actually have 50 people at an auction. So Ben, that's got to be good signs for the industry.
1: Definitely. It allows the agents to put on their show again, and that always helps in securing <laughs> some more business for them.
0: Do you think that agents who have suffered with lack of crowd attendance,
1: like Yeah, well, stock turnover is as low as it's been in a long, long time. And when you can't showcase your wares, if there is someone locally that's considering... Um, selling their property and they haven't had the opportunity to, to compare agents at auctions, then yeah, I think it, yeah. it certainly does hurt the turnover for real estate agents if they can't uh, put it on show.
0: You're listening to Under the Hammer with Ben Reid and Claire Parks from Ian Reed Buyer and Vendor Advocates, moving house called local energy retailer Red Energy, and we do thank them for their support of this podcast. Now, we're going to look at a couple of suburbs in focus today, but let's just do a little disclaimer. If it was a political ad, we'd have the very fast. Voice going, please do not take any of this as <laughs> as concrete advice, so really this is van, how, how what's your disclaimer?
1: Like I guess when you're looking at buying property, while we're going to highlight a few suburbs here um that are more regional and outer suburbs, when it, when we're looking at investment, our go-to is generally um, the capital cities. Um, some of the re- regional areas or outer suburbs tend to be a little bit more hit and miss. Uh, they tend to go up in price quite quickly during periods, but then have um, periods of time where they stagnate in terms of price. Um, every property is different. And and while you're not, you're not buying the, the suburb either. So it's, it's more than just that. It's about selecting the right property within the suburb. So this is general advice. If you are thinking of Purchasing, please do give us a call and we can give you some more tailored advice around what's right for you and your needs.
0: And just to confirm, when you say that you usually recommend capital cities, that's for people buying as an investment. As an yeah?
1: investment, yeah. Okay, so that's, so
0: that's good to know. It's different from a lifestyle purchase, isn't
1: it? Yeah, 80% of, of our population growth, our economic growth comes from the capital cities. So um, naturally, uh, property prices tend to be a little bit more um, consistent in those areas.
0: Okay, so we are going to have a look at a little place called Newcombe. I must admit, it does not ring any bills for me. If I'm heading out of the Melbourne CBD, where am I going to get
1: to Newcomb? Okay, so we're down in Geelong. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, very small um, part of Geelong, small suburb in, Ge- in Geelong, right next next to East Geelong. So it's 78 Ks out of the CBD, only 4.5 kilometres from uh, Geelong Central. The median house price in Newcomb is 445000 So reasonably affordable for uh, most people if they're looking at getting into the marketplace. Interesting that... The suburb right next to it, East Geelong, the median house price there is 650000 Oh, so wow. So Big, big jump <laughs> just to, to go right across the border there or the, into the next suburb.
0: Why would that be, just quickly? What, like, is it just a name?
1: Uh, well, this is the, it's a smaller suburb. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a little bit further away from the beach and, and um, some of the, the um, newer properties. This is, it's a more established, older um, part okay. of Geelong.
0: But it just shows you that within, you know, a very short sort of walk, there are properties achieving a, a much better sale rate.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. But here is a tip and a hint. I have heard a little whisper that the Geelong Council might actually be looking at moving some borders to include part of Newcombe into East Long, which could be a bit of a boon if you ah. uh, fall into that uh, area that uh, gets rezoned.
0: I remember hearing about Heidelberg in uh, West Heidelberg and Heidelberg around where the old Olympic village was in a Melbourne suburb, that when they changed some of the the descriptions, the suburb lines, it actually had people just... Jumping for joy because suddenly what was Heidelberg was now a suburb that was a lot more appealing by name only. Yes. <laughs> so that can actually change things and mix things up a lot.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Okay. So you've heard it here first, a Newcomb down in the Geelong area. And why do you like this area? Is, is it something, Claire, that you sort of think, well, great for family buyers or on that investment side of things, it still looks to be a
2: strong one for investors? Yeah. So both. So uh, the the real draws to to Newcombe and Geelong as a general uh, area. So the lifestyle aspect is obviously right up there. There's the bay. There's access to the Ballerine Peninsula and the Surf Coast, which are beautiful places to be and spend time. But the other things as well, of course, are the work. And education opportunities. So we've got a few sort of larger businesses, quite big businesses based uh, in and around Geelong. So we've got, for example, WorkSafe, we've got the Coddonon, uh, we've got the Epworth, the TAC. There's a lot of construction and development happening around there as well. So there's a good amount of trades that are being drawn toward that, that area. Uh, and as far as education, we've got Deakin Uni, Geelong Grammar, Geelong College uh, and Sacred Heart secondary as well. And I guess a, a university
0: must just be a huge sort of a boom for an area as well, because whenever you get a university, you get young people who need to rent properties, don't you, Ben?
1: Yeah. And that lifestyle draw at the moment, the, the Ballerine Peninsula has seen a, a big gentrification with new families going down that way, big draw card. And I think anything near the water is always um, going to be attractive for a lot of people.
0: And the transport into Melbourne, a lot of people do commute from Geelong. Is that still appealing for people hoping to be able to work in the city and have that lifestyle on the weekends? Yeah,
1: we've got the V-Line that um, is straight out of central Geelong, so access into the city is pretty good. And as we spoke about last last week in terms of Uber Air... Uh, no,
0: no, <laughs> oh, you're big on this, aren't you? <laughs> no,
1: well, Geelong will be one of the first yes. hubs when that does yes. come in. So, um, you know, we're not just thinking the next couple of years, we're thinking 10, 15 years down the track as well, where yep. um, our transport system might look significantly different.
0: Oh, he's always got the long-term view, has been... And you are listening to Under the Hammer. My name is Jane Neill and I am with Ben Reid and Claire Parks from Ian Reed Buyer and Vendor Advocates. It's all thanks to Red Energy. Moving house, call local energy retailer Red Energy on 131806. And now we're going to move to a little place that is very close to my heart. Let's talk Ballarat, Claire. Now, I've got a little weekender there. It was my sole house at one point before I moved into the city and absolutely love Ballarat. So I will just say straight up, I always encourage people to have a look at Ballarat. I just think it's one of those sort of regional centres that is on the up and up and up. And you were there on the weekend. So did you get the vibe? Did you (laughs) you feel that vibe that Ballarat's a happy place?
2: Yeah, (laughs) indeed. And I've got family. My mum grew up in Ballarat, so I've got extended family that are, have got really strong ties uh, up there as well. So I am familiar with it. It was beautiful to be there on the weekend just before it gets that bit too cold. <laughs> yeah. um, but some stats on Ballarat. So Ballarat is 115 kilometres from Melbourne's CBD and the median house price is 525000 And the good news is that over the past five years, uh, that has gone up on average of about 10% uh, per annum. So that's mm. great. So, Claire, what type of properties draw your attention in Ballarat? Well, my personal favourite is that there are a large number of beautiful period homes. So, we're talking Edwardian and Victorian homes, both single and double front. And those are in and around the lake in suburbs such as Wendaree, Lake Wendaree, Newington, in and around there, there's some beautiful period homes. A little bit further out in sort of Alfredham, we're looking at more established estate, and then a little further out to the west as well, we've got an up and coming suburb. It's called Lucas. And uh, that is a new estate, and it's they're really pushing a lot of new development there. There's going to be uh, some education sectors as well as a business centre. So they're really yeah. trying to push employment out there as well. So and the good thing is that they've actually put in some of that infrastructure. Like there is an amazing fruit
0: and veg uh, store in yes. in Ballarat called Wilson's. They opened up at Lucas when mm-hmm. it was still a lot of empty, you know, yes. lots there. But it was like, okay, if we want people to live here we need to have shopping close by and those facilities, you know, on their back doorstep, not another 10,
2: 15 minutes drive into town. Yeah, absolutely. And so it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that and how that Uh, sort of pans out.
0: And in terms of, you know, when we're looking at that investment factor, Mm -hmm. one of the reasons that I'm happy that I bought there is there does seem to be with a huge hospital, which is one of the training hospitals in Australia. So you've got the hospital, you've got Federation Uni. I mean, there's a lot going on for Ballarat in terms of industry, education and healthcare.
1: Whenever we're looking at a suburb, so we really want to have um, the the location be underpinned by Uh, population growth, which is really spurred on by employment uh, as well as lifestyle factors. So um, education uh, and employment are a big part of what will drive rental yields and what will drive property prices.
0: Okay. We're also going to look at Mornington, Ben. So 73Ks to the CBD, which way are we heading out of Melbourne?
1: Down towards the Mornington Peninsula. So just (laughs) just past Frankston, then you get to Mount Eliza, then you get... Get to Mornington. So, what I love about Mornington is it's 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 not just a coastal town. They, you know, it's it's really um, bustling these days with the cafe environment and some shopping, and um, there's everything you need in Mornington. Whereas if you go a little bit further down, then potentially you always sort of need to travel to get your uh, your groceries and those types of things. Where it is more of a, a lifestyle hub now. Um, property prices over the last five years there have grown six point five percent per annum. Uh, The median house price over the last uh, couple of years has come off a little bit because of the Royal Commission into Banking um, and the diversity of uh, the types of properties you can find there, unlike Geelong and Ballarat, where um, the... The difference between the lower-priced properties and the higher priced properties isn't as big in Mornington. You can have a, a 1.5 million dollar townhouse, which is on the water, but then you can have a three-bedroom house on a um, and a good-sized block, five to six hundred thousand, which is not too far from some of the more affordable commission housing areas mm. that you can still buy for under six hundred thousand, um, which is still only a couple of k's from um, the main town, the main street, and the beaches. So, amongst all of this, you've got really affordable. Solid housing that's established that is just a stone's throw away from from some multi million dollar properties.
0: Yeah, in terms of that lifestyle factor, then, like do people feel comfortable moving into areas that perhaps once were, say, a commission area? I know there's plenty of development and and those move on and change. And, you know, is it still sort of one of those places where you could pick up a little gem, even though right now you might be like, oh, it'd be nice if we're a little bit further that way, but over the years, that is going to pay off.
1: Yeah, and this is an example of one of those suburbs where there has been this gentrification and and, um, a lot of the commission housing that was maybe once uh, uh, had a bit of a stigma about it. Mm. There's been that transition. Um, Still, certainly there's some pockets that as investors we would look to steer away from or maybe go that next um, neighbourhood across um, where you can get something that's not as affected by some of the commission housing but still has the affordability factor.
0: And what sort of people are looking to invest or perhaps even, you know, invest for their own lifestyle in that area?
1: So we're seeing a lot of young couples moving down there, as well as at the other end of the scale, too, the downsizes. But unlike uh, Ballarat and Geelong, where most people would look to um, live and work in the same area, there's a lot of people that are um, commuting into Melbourne, Um, a lot of tradies, a lot of tech people, people. Plus the downsizes tend to be the the, um, dominant demographic through there.
0: Okay. And draw cards in terms of, I mean, it's not a huge kind of corporate business area, but what sort of things tweak your interest in that market?
1: Yeah, it's more your lifestyle. So we've got some of the best beaches in the world on the Mornington Peninsula, some of the best golf courses in the world, wineries, all those types of things you can um, live in and enjoy is terrific. And and for the kids growing up by the beaches is fantastic.
0: Well, so that's three different suburbs, three different areas. So Mornington, Ballarat, and of course Newcombe, where we started down in the Geelong region. So, do people come to you Claire and sort of mention a suburb by now? like do they say I really want to live here and then you've got to present them with other options? Do they get fixated on a particular suburb for some reason and you have to try and sort of convince them that maybe they need to look a little bit
2: outside of that box? Yeah, of course. So, oftentimes uh, clients will come to us with something in mind being a suburb and, and the kind of property that they would like to live in and Sometimes we do need to look outside of that and explain to these clients why, you know, perhaps they can't get the kind of house that they would like within that suburb uh, due to price or restrictions around that. Uh, And in other times it could be, well, you know, have you considered this other suburb that could actually suit your lifestyle And needs better. So it is about us understanding that client's brief and what they're after now and into the future and then tailoring it. So it's what they think might be best is not always. Sometimes it is and then we go ahead. Other times we, you know, check out other options and explore those further. And, of course, that advice is all uh, just general in nature
0: and you can speak to a professional like Ben or Claire from Ian Reid Buyer and Vendor Advocates if you want more specific advice. You're listening to Under the Hammer. It's all thanks to Red Energy. Moving is hard, but switching your electricity and gas is easy. Call Red Energy on 131 806. Now, I had to uh, bust out a a bottle of bubbly on a Friday night uh, last week because two very dear friends of mine back in South Australia Finally bought a property. They were looking for 10 to 20 acres in the Adelaide Hills with water enough to do some small uh, farming. They'd both you know sold farms on, on much larger scales. They finally found a property, and they finally had a successful bid. There was a lot of nerves involved, and I'd been sort of on the phone from here just going, "Just go hard, go hard." So negotiating. It's not easy and people like my friends, both very confident people, but when it comes to negotiating a real estate deal, it can be incredibly intimidating for people. Ben, do you think this is one of the things that really puts some people off of going a little bit harder in their, you know, investment portfolio or what they're wanting for their own home?
1: Yeah, it can. I mean, we're talking about the biggest investment you're likely to make in in your lifetime. So, and what buyers um, probably forget is that they're dealing with real estate agents who are trained professionals, trained negotiators, <laughs> yes. and uh, and while they might seem quite friendly, and most of them are, as soon as you walk in the door, the negotiation has begun. You know, from giving your name and number, and most agents will subtly ask you on what suburb you're currently living in. They're they're seeking information that will help them assess where you're at in terms of your buying cycle, um, uh, how much you can potentially pay and, um, and positioning themselves to get as much information from you to uh, get you to pay the most amount of money for their listing.
0: Why am I thinking of a police interrogation unit when you described it like that? But you're right. I mean, there's a lot of information we give off that is not even verbal, isn't it? So, you know, your demeanour when you walk into that first meeting is probably going to tell the agent a lot more about you than you realise.
1: Yeah, for sure. So that's probably our first tip is... Seek first to understand the position of the vendor or the agent. Try and get as much information as you can without giving away your details, like I've just sold this or Uh. we're working towards a settlement here. Because as soon as they know that information, it's like us playing a game of poker. Now, if you laid your cards out on the table and I knew exactly what you were playing with and I kept mine close to my chest, the chances of me beating you in this game are much higher. The same mm-hmm. in negotiation. If if you can understand the position of the person who you're against without giving away your information first, you're going to put yourself in a much better position to get the outcome that you're after.
0: So just drilling down into that a little more. So you're saying... If I'm looking to buy, I need to work out where the agent's coming from. Like, am I trying to get information? Are they trying to do a quick sale here? Is there a potential reason why this house has gone on the market quickly? Is that the sort of thing you mean?
1: Yes, definitely. So questions like, um, have you had any offers? Um, What's the the vendor's price? What are they looking for? Agents like to talk, and the more questions you you can ask, the more information they'll give you. And sometimes it's information that they maybe shouldn't be giving you um, that will <laughs> that will give you some small insights that, uh, let's say, for example, you're pretty flexible on your settlement terms as a purchaser, but the vendor is really looking for a settlement of 60 days because they've gone and already purchased something. Now- you might be able to um, position yourself that you actually want a longer settlement, but come back to that sixty-day settlement um, and save a little bit more money. So, if I'm going to make it sixty-day settlement, then I can only give you X amount of dollars.
0: Uh, so you use these things as little bargaining tools for later on down the track. Correct. Very good advice. Uh, and of course, when you say disclosing your position, so you know if you've just uh, taken a retirement package or you've just sold your mother and father's, you know previous homes in great suburbs, like don't tell the agent that you cashed up. Is that a short
1: form? Or if you're downsized and you've downsized from a $1.3 million property and this property is in the 900,000s, the agent knows that you've got the cash. It's just a matter of how much can they get out of you.
0: So don't tell them about it Keep beforehand. your cards close
1: to your chest and ask <laughs> lots of questions.
0: Okay. And flexibility, like we just mentioned there with with um, settlement timeframes. Do you find that that's a sticking point, Claire? Like flexibility for people when it comes to, I want to be in my house in two months or six months. You know, are people
2: quite fixed on what they want from that? Yeah, sometimes people will come to us with specific questions thoughts and ideas. and But flexibility is really important. And to have that flexibility as a buyer can oftentimes put you in a better position to perhaps negotiate the price, like Ben said, or negotiate another term, which could be ultimately more important to you. So it's about kind of going in with an open mind and using the bits of information that you are able to gain from the agent to then work out what's important to perhaps the vendor and try and work around that where you can. Uh, If you are set in stone and need a particular settlement date, that's okay. Don't let them perhaps know that just at the very beginning. Keep that as a card that's closer to your chest. and, and, And as I said, try and have as much flexibility as possible.
1: And the same applies for sellers. Is that as soon as you need to be locked into a, a certain um, time frame, um, then that can be used against you in terms of a price. So, when whenever we're looking at going into either buying or, or selling, having that flexibility in terms of your terms and time frame. Um, only assists in then prioritising the purchase
0: price, mm. uh, with or my, the sale price. My friends, who I mentioned, you know, bought a, a beautiful lifestyle property in the Adelaide Hills. The actual previous owner, who they've they've just made a successful offer to, has horses on the property. So she was really concerned about what do I do with the horses? What if? And they walked in and said, "You can adjust them. You can keep them here. You can." Mm. And that flexibility, I'm sure, must have something to do with them being the successful bidders. Yeah, it would. Okay. Do we have to act fast? Is speed a good thing here sometimes, Ben?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So make sure that you've got all your ducks lined up, that you've had your finances sorted out, number one, that you've um, got a solicitor that you can send the contract to immediately and get some advice on, that you've got a building inspector or a pest inspector that you can go to. You're not relying on the advice or the recommendation of a real estate agent um, to look to that type of um, referral. and then look to act fast because the, for a purchaser, time is your is um, a big weapon in your arsenal. If you can get an offer in after week one and and um, it's at a level that the vendor is happy to consider, then all of a sudden you're cutting off a few buyers that might not be prepared and might not be in a position to put forward an offer mm. because you've fast tracked things.
0: Okay, so so like you said, getting everything lined up is only going to help. Yep, fantastic. Okay, do we have to put anything in writing? <laughs>
2: Always. Always. Oh, okay, well, that's that's good, clear <laughs> Where advice. possible, yeah, for sure. So putting – when you're getting everything in line, one of the more powerful ways you can then present that offer is in writing. So if you can put it on a contract, that's preferable, mm-hmm. and send that off to the agent. Do it yourself. Don't have the agent sign up the offer for you. Sign it up yourself and send it on in or hand it over. Uh, as far as putting it in writing, you can also put it in an email, but there's the most power is behind a contract. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Keeping in mind, though, most people won't be able to sign up a, a contract themselves. So most agents will be signing up with the agent as a buyer's so. advocate. We're able to do that, and there there is a then a certain element of power in be, being able to do that as well.
0: Okay, so once again, you know, it will help you if you've got a buyer's advocate because yeah, it would. someone like Claire is going to be able to do all that for you. Uh, language: Do you have to be a little careful about how you talk?
1: Definitely got to watch your language because, again, we're dealing with trained professionals. And so um, lines like, uh, I'd like to start with this offer, um, or can we try this price? Um, it's it's immediate red flag. that the
0: What, they just go, well, of course well, of you're course. Gonna there's, going to be going above that.
1: <laughs> that's right. There's, there's more that they've got to pay. So the real estate agent is the mouthpiece of both the buyer and the vendor. So our language, if we're definitive in what we're saying, that we've considered it, um, we've gone through all the comparables. What we can afford to spend is this. This is our offer, um, and you're letting them think that there's genuinely no more in it. Then they're going to convey that to the vendor, and they're going to say, look, because the vendor is naturally going to ask, well, will they pay more? Yeah. And if you can convince the agent that you're not going to pay more, then they're probably going to convince their vendor that you're not going to pay more. But
0: then what if they've got other people willing to pay another two or 3000 well, more? Well, then you,
1: you have to be able to be nimble and pivot. And if they come back sure. to you and say, well, um, you know, they're not prepared to accept your offer, all of a sudden you find some more money or circumstances can change. But um, if you're going to put in an offer, try and convince the agent that that is your best and final offer. Okay. So be firm. Be firm. And
0: is there any guideline as to sort of what prices you might Be willing to put forward? Like, why no round numbers?
2: What on earth does that have to do with it? (laughs) So, that's more of a psychology thing. And what that means when we say no round numbers is if you're, you know, looking at a circa 750 for argument's sake, putting an offer of 750 flat, we always like to end on something that's a little unusual. So perhaps if you really are capped at 750 if you can find another 1500 you know, so 751500 Because psychologically going past that 750 correct.
0: mark is okay.
2: And oh. you look like you've really stretched, you know, you've asked mum and dad for $500 and, you know, you've got to also <laughs> sell that story to them as well without going overboard yeah. and, and keeping it realistic and uh, and understandable. But that is a part of
1: it. And other, other buyers might also have that same budget. So they go to their maximum budget, which they've already set at 750000 If you can just beat it by $1,000 or, or mm. another $500, not only does it demonstrate that you've really stretched it, even if it might still be under your budget, um, but if you have really stretched it, you might have just stretched it $1,000 more than someone else who's got a similar budget.
0: And should you play the that's it, I'm walking away card or do you risk losing out?
1: <laughs> Sometimes you can. That It depends Again, asking the right questions around, have you got any other offers? Uh, what's the process that we're going to be going through once the vendor does get an acceptable offer? All of these pieces of information that as advocates, we would establish that before we make a really firm price. But if you do make that firm price and say, that's my price and we're going to walk away after this. If they sell it to someone else, you've already said that, then you know, I guess it's on you. So you, you need to play the game and make sure that if you are um, playing it too hard, you risk them selling it to someone else at Mm. potentially a price that you're prepared to pay.
0: And just as a sort of loose little thing to finish with, do agents have to tell me what the other bid is? So if I'm saying, right, we're going to put 1.1 into this, final offer, walk, and they say, oh, we've had another bid. They they don't have to tell you what the other bid is or not? No, they don't. I find that so frustrating. It's like, well, just tell me how much more I need to... Okay.
1: Yeah, so it, d- it depends on the process in which they go through once they're finalising a negotiation. Uh, much like the property we sold in Lang Warren, that the, pro- the closed process allowed us to sell the property for $100,000 mm. higher than the second highest offer.
0: Well, some fantastic tips in there for negotiating. And if you just don't think that you've got it in you, I don't know, I'm still a bit <laughs> unsure as to whether I'm a tough negotiator or not. You can always speak to someone like Claire
2: as a buyer advocate. How do we get hold of you, Claire? You can reach me via email at claire at ianreid.com.au or on the office line, which is nine four three zero double zero double zero. Fantastic. Ben, if
0: people are interested in having you on their side for these tough negotiations.
1: Uh, Send me an email, ben at ianreid.com.au
0: Plenty of great advice there and loving the fact that we sort of looked a little outside of uh, the Melbourne CBD with our suburbs in focus. Can we do that again next week? I love hearing about little pockets of uh, the world that I'm not aware of. Got any more?
1: We'll come (laughs) up with something else for you.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you for listening to Under the Hammer. I'm Jane Neild and you've been with me and and also Ben Reid and Claire Parks from Ian Reed Buyer and Vendor Advocates. And it's all thanks to Red Energy. Moving is hard, but switching your electricity and gas is easy. Call Red Energy on 131 806 and we'll talk to you again next Monday.
1: Thanks for listening to Under the Hammer for Red Energy. Moving house, call local energy retailer Red Energy. If you enjoyed Under the Hammer, then check out the other podcasts in the Red Energy Lifestyle Series. For the foodie, enjoy Tuesday with Ash Pollard.
0: Really, the people around here truly lived farm to table, and so that's kind of how I've been cooking, and I know it's trendy now, but it was necessity back then.
1: Moving house, call local energy retailer Red Energy. Thanks for listening to Under the Hammer, part of Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series, available on your favourite podcast platform and the SE. Yeah.